Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Game Over Vancouver. Uh, I am joined by Lachlan Irvine at Lock in the Crease on Twitter. Thanks for joining us tonight again, Lachlan, uh, for one of the wildest games. The Canucks beat the Habs 7-6 in overtime. Uh, come back from a 4 nothing. uh for, come back from a 4 nothing deficit in the first period. Uh, before we jump into that game and talk about how crazy it was, um, I am going to give a shout out to our sponsor. Um, if I can pull up the ad read, for some reason I can't. Uh, okay, think you know what way it's going to go. Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's World Cup, hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Uh, all right. What did you, what, if you could use one word to describe the game tonight, what would it be? Oh my God. I mean, the first word that pops into my head is chaos. I think that is the most accurate description of what we just saw. Like, I, I, I think I tweeted something along the lines of like, Hollywood would look at this and say, this is the most unrealistic thing I, I've ever seen. And like, th- this, we can't make this movie because no one would believe it. That, that's what we just saw. It was wild. Um, so for people who are joining, if you missed any part of the game, the Canucks win 7-6 in overtime, 13 seconds into OT. Uh, but the they were down 4 nothing in the first. Uh, the Habs had goals from Caulfield, Suzuki, Monaghan, and Pizzetta. Then in the second, the Canucks came back within two. Connor Garland making up for <laughs> the last couple of games and Ilya Mikhaev. And then in the third, I feel like the third was a totally different game. Like it was a fully separate game from the first two <laughs> periods. Uh, in the third, we had goals from Horvat, Mikhaev, Stanika to take the lead. Then the Habs come back with Dvorak and Josh Anderson. And then Kuzmenko ties the game. And then Elias Pettersson scores unassisted in overtime. Yeah. It wow. was like... At the end of the first, you and I were talking and we were like, what are, what are we going to talk about tonight? Like they were on track to lose 16, nothing. Yeah, it really, it was it. And as soon as, you know, uh, Spencer Martin gets the hook and Colin Delia comes in, you're just thinking, oh, it's, it's, it's probably, this isn't going to end, you know, this, I don't think this can end any other way than, you know, where it seems to already be going. But uh, sure enough, uh, in true Canucks fashion, like I think we talked about this the last time I was on, the Canucks always seem to win at the weirdest possible times and lose at the weirdest possible times. So, of course, Colin Delia comes in to a 4 nothing game and ends up getting his, his first win as a Vancouver Canuck tonight. Like, And you're right, yeah. The third period was a completely different game from what we saw in the first two periods. Like it didn't, it looked like it just didn't belong in at all. But you know what it was? It was a wildly fun game. I tweeted at the end of the third. (laughs) These were two teams where I think their previous GMs really subscribed to the theory, get in the playoffs and anything can happen. And that's how that's that was the philosophy underlying how they built their teams. 
And I think that's what we saw tonight was two teams where anything can happen. They're not necessarily really well built. There's not really a lot of defense going on, but sometimes it can be really fun. It's just the rest of the time. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's it's when they're playing the teams that don't take that building philosophy where you get concerned. Of course, like, yeah, in this particular game, right? Yeah, you're we're talking about two teams who both did completely redid their entire front offices last season. And because of, uh, you know, they kept the the previous regimes kept pushing all in over and over and over again. And, you know, I I would say that, you know, based on what we've seen from the Canadians, they've definitely made a little bit more work. They've done a little bit more work towards something else, a different sort of plan than the Canucks have, I would say, thus far. Um, but yeah, the you see the the start of this game it, and all the way to the end, really, it was just ugly, ugly hockey. It just it just started as only one team was playing bad hockey. And then throughout the rest of the way, all of a sudden, everybody just forgot how how to play any sort of defense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm getting some responses in the chat for words to describe the game. First one from David W. It'd be ugly. Alex N says fun sanity. Also very accurate. Uh, Yeah. If you're in the chat, let us know. What do you think is the one word you would use to describe this game? Um, For me, I I would say... (laughs) I, I think I think Alex Ed nailed it. Fun sanity is exactly it is exactly yeah. what it is. Um, you know, they say the best the best defense is a good offense, and for the Canucks, that is the only defense they get because I think, as we all know, the blue line is not great. And uh, I thought one of the other stories of the game that you were going to talk about um, and that you brought up, and that I think everyone on Twitter kind of noticed, was two. Uh, Blind passes from JT Miller in the first, leading directly to that four nothing deficit. Yeah. Oh boy. Um. I seeing that though, because he did it. So he, for anyone who didn't see, essentially, uh, you know, JT Miller loves to do this one pass that fools absolutely nobody, where he'll take a little like stop up near like the the ice, and then he'll throw a, like a little backhand pass. Uh, behind it behind his back without looking but it's always like the softest little just bloop into into no man's land that's going to absolutely nobody the canadians picked it off or the canadians almost picked it off once the canucks uh recovered i think Pedersen recovered uh before it could do any sort of damage but then for some reason literally on the exact same power play shift he tried the same thing again and it still didn't work and this time the Canadians took possession and ended up it you're and you're right. It led directly, I believe, to their fourth goal. Um, it was just and it was just like it was driving me crazy that not only did that he even tried it the first time because we've seen him do it so many times and it always goes wrong. Uh, but for him to try it twice in the same shift, I was prepared if it wasn't for the rest of this game. I think we would have spent a lot more time ripping those two plays in particular because of how bad they were. But even then, it's kind of like, oh, man, they still won seven to six. I kind of feel like I have to give him a bit of a pass. He had one assist, which is probably, I will say, not great in a seven six game from a guy from your highest paid forward next season that he only had one assist in a seven six game. But I don't know. It's hard to sort of really judge anybody today. Yeah. And that's it. That's a good segue into our kind of second segment question for the chat. And it's kind of a, 
It's a bit of a loaded question, but I think there could be some interesting answers here. And what I want to know is, do you guys think that was a good game? Like, what is your definition of a good game? And would you say that tonight was a good game? Was it a good game in your mind? Um, It was a good game in the sense that it was highly entertaining. Uh, Sorry. Yes. The first period was not a good game. The, The first period was a good game in the sense that I would really like the Canucks to set a record for losing and get Connor Bedard. But yes, overall, I, mean, I would no. say if you like fun hockey and by fun hockey, I mean, totally wild, unpredictable, highest highs, lowest lows. That was a good game. But yeah. if you're talking about a good game in the sense of whether or not this team has turned the corner and is somehow going to make the playoffs and is going to be good. And this is a team on the upward trajectory. Uh, my answer is still, no, this is a team that, I think, frankly, doesn't know what it is. Like, they're not they're not as bad as they were to start. They're probably exactly where they're at. They're playing roughly 500 hockey, and they're, like, sometimes entertaining. Sometimes they win. And they're going to be squarely in the middle with no long-term plan and no top three pick. That's... So, no. My, I guess my answer is yes in the short term, but no overall. Yeah, I would say... Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Like from a hockey fan standpoint, oh my God. Yeah, like so fun. If I was somebody just tuning into this game, had no horse in the race, was just and just happened to tune in and saw this ridiculousness unfolding in real time, I would probably be like, oh my God, this is the best game since uh, what was it? The Kraken Kings game the other day that was like nine to eight in overtime. Um, And honestly, in some ways, this one might have even topped that one just in, in. in the in the way that it happened, just the sheer unbelievable way the Canucks came back from four nothing down to do it in all pretty much all in the third period. But you know, as a goaltender, I hated it because I was watching just absolutely some galaxy brain decisions, not only by the defense for both teams, but like the goaltending too. Like, and I have to, and I you know, to be fair to particularly to the Canucks goaltenders, right? You know, Spencer Martin was not intending to be was did not come into the season intending to have to be a, a starting goaltender with Thatcher Demko out for the foreseeable future being put on IR today. Poor Colin Delia was not planning to play today either. So when you see him doing stuff like break dancing in front of his own net, you're kind of like, uh, yeah, like I can't really fault you too much. There were some mistakes he was making for sure. But again, like you're not prepared to play. You're coming in ice cold. It's really hard to uh, to come away to come away not only holding your team in that game down the line, but to walk away with a win as well. Um, but yeah, like and even from like the Canadians goaltenders standpoint, like again, they were again. Carey Price was supposed to be has always been supposed to be the starter, right? And to the for the most part, and these guys like him and uh, uh, Sam Montembeau and Jake Allen are getting thrown into the wolves in front of this rebuilding team. And it's like, oh, you're, there's not much you can do. There's not much they can do here, right? They kind of just got to weather the storm. Yeah, I I mean, here's another interesting question for you as, as a goaltender. The goal that Nick Suzuki scored, did you Oof. think that Spencer Martin should have had that? Or do you think yes. that was a tricky shot? I think... I think it I think it depends obviously on, you know, Nick Suzuki's a very good player, so it wouldn't surprise me if like he has a little bit of a of a trick up his sleeve when he's taking a shot, but anytime you as a goaltender get a piece of it the way that Martin did, especially on your short side like that, 
you've got to you got to at least be able to bat it in front of you. So what I saw from that particular play, just, you know, drawing from whatever experience I've had is that it was a mistake where if he squares his body up a little bit more to the puck rather than Suzuki's uh, body as he's skating in, um, it makes it a lot easier for him to like put it in front of his chest rather than uh, off to that glove side. It was very much a case of he's got, he didn't have his glove in the right position. It kind of looked like it was also even like a little bit too far back behind him as well, like or not out in front where you have most of your, your power trying to glove shots that way. So for him to kind of just get a little tip of it and it rolls into the net. Yeah. That's the kind of play that as a goaltender, I'm sure like Ian Clark is going to, is going to have film on that one being like, you got to have your glove out a little bit more in front. You got to be more centered to the puck when you're, when that shot is coming, when uh, Suzuki's coming down the wing like that. Yeah. I, I, I thought the other interesting thing too, aside from them pulling Spencer Martin is that, you know, Spencer Martin was in the position of being the backup that the team played well in front of yeah and kind of they didn't seem to do the same for Demko and now in the span of one game you're kind of like did they do the same thing with Colin Delia coming in yeah it's like they see the the starter I'm the starter name tag and they're like oh okay and they just completely change the way they play yeah it's it's bizarre um okay the in the chat people are saying blowout team tank it was a fun game but not a good game uh a good game is a game that NHL coaches like. That's I, I like that one, except I think you you get a pretty wide variety of what coaches think. You know, like what Barry Trotz thinks is a good game is not going to be what Bruce yeah. Boudreau thinks is a good game. God, yeah, I I rem- I'll never forget how many angry Islanders fans I had when I called when uh when I called the Barry Trotz Islanders that made the conference finals like bo- the most boring team in the world. Like yeah, they're good. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not good. They're just they just play a type of hockey that if you're a casual like sports fan, you are not it is going to make you never want to watch hockey again. Yeah. So games like tonight are absolutely what get people interested in, you know, watching a few more games on TNT or ESPN in the states, right? Yeah. I would say tonight was probably the most fun slash crazy game I've seen them play since the 7-6 game where they beat the Avalanche. Except I actually think that was, I think that was actually a good game and that it was wild, but they were playing good hockey. Whereas tonight was just bad, crazy hockey on both sides. It was was a war of attrition for sure today. Yeah. Um, What do you, what do you guys in the chat think? Like, do you, do you think that, Based on tonight and based on where they're at, I think they're either 11 and 12 or 12 and 12. They're roughly right around 500. I think they're in 11th after this game tonight. What do you want to see from this team for the rest of the season? Do you want to see more of these kind of barn burner fun games? Or do you, are you a a team tank fan or a team make the playoffs fan? I mean, for me personally, I'm fully I'm 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 I would say I'm fully on team tank like look at like frankly the Canadians are a great example of a team that is very clearly rebuilding like they're 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 making no secrets about that they're playing a lot of younger guys they're uh you know they're playing games that look a lot like this on a regular basis um but they're still competitive and they're still they've still won a lot of games for a team in the position that they're in but they're doing it in a way that's more organic for the long-term future right it's not like they have 
made this decision to sign a bunch of guys who are, you know, for an all in push that are, you know, just keeping them within striking distance. Right. A lot of these guys are playing uh, bigger roles as younger players. Right. Um, For the Canucks, that's not really the case. It's a lot of older guys. It's a lot of players that they should probably be looking at at moving down the line here or, uh, you know, especially with games like tonight. That is great. Great help is to boost uh, players trade value when you got like Connor Garland scoring that nifty goal in the first in the second period or Brock Besser getting points or Riley Stillman with two assists like those are the kinds of like it's it really is a case where it's like okay yeah you beat the Canadians tonight but when say a team like the Bruins come to town or the you know the or somebody who's or the somebody else who's just higher in the standings right now or playing a much stronger more a structured game of hockey. Are you going to be able to win seven, six games in the same way? The answer is probably no with the team that you've got right now. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page. We've got a couple of people in the chat who are advocating for making the playoffs. Um, Carol says, team that makes the playoffs, we can't give up on them just because they're losing sometimes. Um, I like this one. Uh, We've got team make Vegas miss the playoffs. Always a good option. True. That is very true. If that that that's the that is the true um the true like the 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 one outcome that would bring everybody together is any scenario where the knights miss the playoffs absolutely um this is this is probably where i land uh tom gatt says fun games where they lose i want bedard but i know with canucks luck they wouldn't get him um that's a very good point but this is probably the one year where if you don't get bedard Ending up with uh, Mitchkov or Fantilli is nothing to sneeze at. Those those guys would be first like first overall in any other year. Um, this was yeah. if the Canucks had actually lost in overtime or actually even just lost six five, I would have been very happy tonight. This is the exact kind of game I want them to play for the rest of the season. Like high scoring, entertaining, fun to watch hockey where they keep losing. Yeah. Like there's no, there's nothing that says, you know, if you're, if you're, even if you're like trying to put together a rebuild that your team can't like come up with some weird ways to win or do some, or like play spoiler every now and then. Right. So yeah, like these are the kinds of games that are just like, yeah, they're so fun. You who like, even, even if they had lost, yeah, the result, it still would have been an extremely entertaining game and it's hard to like look at any point of it and being like, this was a, this was a waste of my, this were three hours or two and a half hours that I'll never get back. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like everyone feels like uh, losing all the time is bad for morale. And like, you know what? It probably is for the players. Yeah. But if you're trying to manage a fan base in terms of tanking, all you have to do is play entertaining games. Like you don't have to lose in brutal fashion every time. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, it, cause like there've been so many games this year where, I have been falling asleep at the wheel almost like watching some of these games this year. Cause you're just like, you know, they're going to lose and it's going to be in a way that it's not even like, forget the blown lead games. Like it's all the ones where it's like, it's so clearly out of their hands that they're not coming away with any sort of points in this game. And you're just like, Oh, this is like, this is what, this is the team I've chosen to pay attention to for some reason. Right. That's what I thought um, at the end of the first, like, sorry, they actually, they yeah. looked good in the first, but I was like, Oh, it's for nothing. Like, what am I going to talk about again tonight? Oh yeah. And speaking of which, as soon as they were like, Oh, the shot totals are wow. Nine to two. Right. I was like, Oh, but Montreal is going to score the first goal. Right. Like, I think all of us saw that coming a mile away. Yeah. 
I thought the only good thing about tonight was that in other games, I think where they've come out really well and the other team scores to go ahead undeservingly and against the flow of play, this team has kind of wilted and just gone away. And this is maybe one of the first times where I've seen them have a bit of fight. And I don't know if that's because obviously Montreal (laughs) didn't play a great game either, but you know, at least they didn't just give up and lose 12, nothing. Yeah, they, they, this, you're right. This is absolutely one of the few games this year where they, you know, that when the going got tough, they didn't just hide under the table. They actually, they actually pushed their way back into the game. And man, I would love to know what, Bruce Boudreaux said to the to the players during that that second intermission to get them fired up to go back out there because like even the outside of I would say maybe the Jack Stanika goal like none of those were like none of those were like goofy goals for the Canucks by any way they were in any stretch they were all well executed strong offensive plays being made either by the power play unit or by or off more often than not by the just the the forward lines going out there doing their job like Patterson, Besser, and Mikheyev looked fantastic uh, at for large stretches of this game. And yeah, like it, it's one thing where like the Canadians like even like the goal that gave them the lead was this wonky goal that essentially was an own goal for Quinn Hughes where it goes off his leg over Delia and into the net, right? And uh, so. Whereas the Canucks, yeah, they won fully on their, the goals they scored were fully on merit. Yeah, absolutely agree. I thought some of the goals, I thought Mikhaev's goals and also Petey's overtime goal were just some of the best goals I've seen this season. Like they actually were well executed, entertaining to watch, pretty. Um, yeah. Which leads me to our third segment. And I think there was no way we could have gone through this post game show without talking about Brock Besser. Yeah. So uh, if you're still here with us, thanks for watching. Uh, make sure you follow Lachlan at Lock in the Crease. Follow SDPN at SDPN Sports. Uh, follow me at Samantha CP underscore. Um, let's talk about Brock Besser. It was an interesting weekend. Uh, you know, we heard everybody knew that he was going to be a healthy scratch. They announced he was going to be a healthy scratch for a Hockey Fights Cancer Night, which was a very controversial and unpopular decision. He ends up playing, uh, playing well, being a crucial part of that. And then it gets announced during the game that he's been given permission to talk to other teams for a trade. Yeah. Wow. And then tonight uh, they finally play him with Elias Pettersson, which I have been saying they should do all season long. And, you know, as always, they look great together. Yeah, lo and behold, they went and had just an amazing game. By how many points did Besser end up with? He only ended up with one, but he deserved arguably more than that. Yeah, and he looked good with Petey. Yeah, I mean, to again, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, right? Like, of course, like they've played together. They played so well every time they're ever put together. And I get the i I get the 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 original thought process of like they're both very good. We want to kind of spread the wealth a little bit, like at least from like last year's standpoint, for example. But once you start getting into, you know, the, the struggles that Brock was having, especially with scoring goals uh, and still is to and still is more or less like, it's like, why don't you just play him with Pedersen? Like see how they does. Pedersen is clearly a player that makes regardless of who he's playing with everyone around him better just every time he steps on the ice. So like just throw and Besser he's, in there and see what happens. Like Patterson's also it. said he likes playing with Besser. Like 
yeah they they like each other they're good friends they clearly enjoy playing together like i don't understand why they don't do it more it always pays off yeah this isn't like a case with like edmonton for example where you can't really put Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl on the same line because if you do suddenly there's massive holes behind them the kind of having besser playing in a different spot uh as a winger from someone like say kuzmenko doesn't really change all that much about the possibility of the possible scoring output as much as it does the chemistry like it improves the actual chemistry of those lines and yeah and it's been a case of like you know if they do end up moving on from besser which it does seem like that is regardless of how this goes that seems to be where we're heading here you've got to put him in spots where he's going to be able to like showcase his true potential rather than stuffing him on like a defensive line centered by Sheldon Dries or Nils Amon right it's not good you're not going to get like we're already hearing like rumors that like the Canucks will take pretty much any package for Brock Besser or like what have you right where it's something like they won't even get like what was it a third and a fourth I think was the comparable that like yeah for Bjorkstrand for Oliver B. Orkstrand. And it's like, okay, but if you actually, if the coaching staff in the front office actually like communicated, which is clearly part of the issue of where we got to this in the first place from Saturday, if they were communicating and actually going like, hey, like we need to put these guys who are struggling into positions where they can actually like score and like are playing to their their best possible potential so we can get as much for them in any sort of return you've got it like that's what's that's what's got to happen i like i wrote about it today and like also very crucially that if if and very likely this will happen besser does end up refinding that same kind of like that same full-on chemistry that lead that translates into the point totals he's been getting with Pedersen. Uh, they have to, the management has to be very clear that if this is the course that they're going on, where they're going to end up moving on for Brock Besser, just because he scores a bunch of points doesn't mean you can just be like, well, we, we can't trade him now. He's too good because that's how you end up in the situation you've been in, in the first place with a lot of players. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But that being said, I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you're in the chat, feel free to jump in. Do you think they should trade Brock Besser? I think based on the trajectory of this team and where it's going i think that in terms like it's oh god this is such a hard question to answer because it's like on one hand i love brock besser and i think he's much better than he's shown in his time in like the last couple years in particular for sure where he's really had some struggles i think he's better than he lets on but the way things are going when he hits that peak at peak level of production, it's not going to line up with where the Canucks, when the Canucks are in a window to compete for for the championships or playoffs again, if they start rebuilding right now, right? So I think you got to move. I think you got to move him if you can raise that price up enough to make him worth it. But I don't think they should just sell him just to get rid of the issue. I think you've got to find an actual fit and a, a good a good partner for him. But be will you still got to be willing to like obviously you know, not just hold a, hold a hard stance on what you want, but you know, you gotta, you gotta at least make the attempt to move him for a more reasonable package for what his potential is. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with all of that. Um, I think that 
sorry, Peter, Peter in the chat says, honestly, it's tough to say, but if you're going to pull the trigger on Besser, then put him with PD to boost up his value, which I think is totally consistent yes. with what we're saying. There's, like you said, there's no reason putting him on a line with Sheldon Dries. Like, you're not going to get any good offers on yeah. that part. And that's been one of the things that's most frustrating about this team is, like, the asset management is wildly incompetent. Like, yeah, you want to trade him, that's great. But showcase the player at his best. Like, don't, they seem to only want to get rid of players when they're not playing well. And they don't is, seem to grasp the fact that you're not going to get any return for that. Yeah, it's it, I've it it honestly baffles me how many times they've been like, we're going to trade this player at their absolute just worst value possible, and then you'll have cases like, and again, I hate to harp on him specifically, but then you'll have a case like where JT Miller has a 99 point season that you're pretty darn sure he's never going to be able to replicate. And instead of moving him, even for like what, like some of the packages that were rumored to be out there, instead they give him like, an, what was it? Is it, a, I, I keep forgetting if it's seven or eight years, either way. Seven years, eight million dollars. Yeah. The answer is too many. Instead of just even like trying to wait it out one more year with yeah. him. Like you're looking at the Hor- like Horvat scoring 20 goals and being a player who's more or less consistently put, produced at maybe not this great a clip but has produced regularly and offensively and is nowhere near as much a defensive liability um and you're like gee it really would be nice to have him on an extension right now instead huh um yeah this is this is this is something that the canucks absolutely need to get the canucks absolutely need to get out of their own way when it comes to being willing to make a bolder move and actually like trade a guy at like a peak value or at the very least like playing a guy in positions where they are boosting their value for the very specific person, specific purpose of moving on from them later. Like I always think back to like how Toronto kept putting Dion Phaneuf in like power play roles. He got a bunch of X of points at like five V four and then traded him to Ottawa for like this ridiculous amount of things. Right. Because that they were at a point where it's like, well, we're not winning with Phaneuf because this team is nowhere near competing for anything. We we're clearly in a tank mode, so we're gonna we're gonna showcase him as much as humanly possible, put him in a bit of sheltered minutes, and see if somebody bites. And that's what you got to be doing with guys like Besser, Connor Garland, uh, Oliver Ekman, Larson, Tyler Myers, like all of those Pretty guys. Much anyone are other than sure. Pedersen and Hughes and Demko. Pretty much. Hey, listen, even Demko. Even Demko, like, yeah. It, well, actually, I'll say, you know what? The actual correct answer is, well, or at least it was until today, maybe, uh, was you got it. Spencer Martin, man. His stock yeah. is, if his stock is getting as high as it looks, man, someone like Edmonton or Philadelphia is going to be like, I will give you my first rounder for the next two years for for starting Look goalie at Spencer Florida. Martin. Look at Florida. Oh. Bobrovsky's been atrocious. They're paying him $10 million. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, Florida, like if it wasn't for the fact that, yeah, like that boat anchor of a contract is not going anywhere, but like, yeah, they would absolutely could use uh, a like Spencer Martin. They would absolutely be in the market for a Spencer yeah. Martin. Like, I mean, yeah. And like the other one I keep bringing up is Edmonton, who, who've done this time and time again, where they're like, no, we've definitely got our starting goalie figured out. And then suddenly Jack Campbell can't stop a beach ball. And it's like, well, this is what happens when you sign a guy with a very short sample size. They're exactly the type of like team that would pay through the nose for like a goaltender that looks to be yeah. on the up and up, right? Exactly. So back to the chat, we've got I think four people say yes, trade Besser, and then a couple say uh, hard to say. Think about it, maybe not. Um, I'm gonna put myself on the 
yes, I think he's tradable. I think he's one of their best pieces to trade if they can net the return that he actually deserves and not like this notion that, you know, if you can get a second for Besser and clear the cap space, that's great. No, that's not great. That's actually a terrible trade. Um, my my only concern is, as you say, we want we want the Canucks to put him in a position to succeed and rack up a lot of points and trade him at peak value. And I don't have any faith in this team to not then be like, well, he's scoring a lot. Let's make a run for the playoffs and not trade him because they're very much of the mindset. Well, they're doing so well. Why would we trade them when they're doing well? And it all comes back to our original point, which is, you know, this is a team that doesn't they haven't committed themselves to any plan. It's like when they're really bad, they're like, oh, we we should tank. We should we should rebuild. And anytime they start winning, picking up points, they're like, no, we should go for the playoffs. Like, I just need them to pick a plan. Yeah, it, it's it, it very much seems sometimes like uh, the front office has the attention span of a goldfish where they just forget. They forget what happened. Anything past like the last three seconds or that they've that they've been watching. They're like, oh, this team is stanley cup caliber right all of yeah. it and then three seconds later they're like oh we got to sell everybody um but then they never do um I, I see someone in the chat also suggesting the blues goalies are not very good yes the blues are a perfect team that would love spencer martin right now uh listen spencer martin is uh it, with no hyperbole is a better goaltender than jordan binnington for a variety of reasons uh yeah you should that's yeah those are the kinds of moves that you should be looking at making like that's the and that in itself is one of the things where I'm like, like, uh, I would love to see them be like aggressive in that sort of way, where it is like a case of they see a guy like Spencer Martin, who by all accounts is a fantastic backup goaltender and doing, you know, like even for tonight, like it's been doing great, like for the over the course of this year. If you can sell high on somebody like him, for example, that's that's a that is found money, right? Because you went from a guy with like a minimum, a league minimum contract or a very low contract. Uh, cheap contract to getting some sort of return is incredible yeah like that's the kind of stuff that you hope they can they can look for down the line as well as trying to find new homes for some of the more expensive contracts and whatnot from your lips to patrick olvian's ears (laughs) yes i yeah they they really should they really should uh i i wonder if they read my 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 articles no they probably don't well they should they they read they read Stefan Roger's, uh, and they probably read and they read Wyatt's, but they they probably don't read mine. <laughs> but they they probably should. And if you're in the chat, you definitely should. Um, we are going to wrap up. The Canucks win seven six in overtime. Thirteen seconds into overtime, Elias Patterson scores a beautiful goal. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hit like, subscribe, uh, go follow Lachlan at Lock in the Crease in, on Twitter, and follow SDPN at SDPN Sports. Um, Have a great night, everyone. Bye.